Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we have Matt on, who is a farrier. Hi, Matt. Hello there. How are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Good, good. So what is a farrier? Um, A farrier basically is the modern day blacksmith. So whereas you guys used to make gates and shoe horses at the same time, now it's just predominantly looking after horses' feet. It's uh, it's an ancient uh, craft, then. Yes, yeah, one of the oldest, um, one of the oldest trades there is. Apparently, I've not actually looked into quite how old it is, but yeah, it goes back as long as we've known horses. Wow! And when you say sort of, uh, it is the blacksmith of today. Is that just because shoeing a horse you can't produce on a production line? Um, yeah, I mean, it's something that a bloke's always going to have to tip up and do. I guess it's not something that can be done um by anything other than by anything other than someone because obviously it's a living structure and a living animal so yeah it's not something you can just have done anywhere it's something that someone needs to come to you and do for you so how did you get into it matt um i had horses as a child we um we grew up i was lucky to have horses when i was a kid um used to hang around um and help the farrier when he used to come and do ours um, and did a little bit of work experience with a couple of guys. I didn't really know an awful lot about what I wanted to do when I left school anyway, so it kind of a natural progression. That was sort of the only thing I'd really come across. So, it, yeah, come about that way, really. Mm, so you sort of fell into it? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I knew I wanted to work with horses because um, that's kind of what I did in my spare time and was natural to sort of carry it on into a, some sort of job going forwards but yeah i i didn't really enjoy the mucking out and the grooming so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so did you uh, leave school at 16 and then go get an apprenticeship to become a farrier yeah or? it was a, it was an apprenticeship yeah i i went um the first sort of main experience was work experience from school from secondary school um i went out with a local guy for i think it was a couple of weeks work experience and then yeah you um I went to college and did uh, what's called a pre-farrier course, um, which was an introduction to farrier. It wasn't uh, part of the apprenticeship. It was a year-long course up in Warwickshire. Um, and then after that, you then apply um, to the training farriers around the country and hope that you get a job. Um, and then, yeah, you start an apprenticeship, um, which is four and a half years long. Generally, guys want you to do a good six months before you go to college for the first time. So you're looking at the best part of five years, start to finish. Oh, wow. Wow. It's a long time. Yeah. So how, how much of it is the blacksmithing and making of the shoes versus understanding the sort of anatomy of the foot and, and how to actually shoe properly? Um, I'd say, well, with the, with the, with the apprenticeship, you're, you're based with a training farrier. Um, and you shoe multiple horses five days, six days a week. Um, and then the theory side is done six monthly at college for blocks of anything between two weeks and a month. Um, so that's when you go and do all your theory side of it. And obviously there's quite a bit of that. There's mm. a lot going on inside a foot that you need to know about um, as is in the rest of the horse. So, yeah, I'd say, you know, we're we're obviously shaping bits of metal and putting them on the bottom of horses' feet, but anatomy, there's an awful lot to it. 
Um, so it's pretty much half and half, I'd say. Uh, am I right in saying that a horse's hoof is, is essentially like a big finger? Um, yeah, a big, big fingernail, yeah. Right. Uh, how, yeah. how hard is it to judge sort of how deep to go and how much to take off? And that I guess you just learn. Really, yeah, I mean, there's, there's the odd little uh, pointers that you can use to sort of find your way through the hoof and, and know how much foot's on there, but it's purely just down to just down to experience and and the skill that you gain through the years you know i mean i still come across horses and i know guys that still come across horses and you're still not quite sure how much foot's on them but you you go a little bit and you feel it and yeah mm. something you sort of learn intuitively as yeah you go along. massively yeah massively and every foot's different every horse is different you know so it's you know there's not one rule that fits all by any stretch I of the imagination and you, you sort of specialise in imbalances, right? Um, yeah. And sort of, uh, is that with race horses or is that with competition horses or just any horse? Every single horse, every single horse. We've all got, we've all got confirmation abnormalities. Um, you know, everyone's got a slightly bent finger or a wonky toe, um, and that goes down through the horse as well. So, any sort of confirmation is going to need correcting through balance and rebalance and be that with the trim or the shoe itself. Okay. So do you um, measure up a horse and then make the shoe or do you have like a, a range of shoes that you go yeah, with and I mean, adapt them on size? Your day-to-day -day shoes um, are all keg shoes. So they're all off the shelf. Um, they come in increments of half inch size steel that they're used, lengths of steel that they use to make them. Um, and you'll get those shoes on, you know, all day long. That's absolutely fine. If you come across something that needs a little bit more of remedial work or some that requires a bit more outside of the normal, um, then then you make the shoes for those. But that's that's less and less common. And that's purely just down to time um, and expense as well. It costs a lot to make shoes um, through gas and, and fuel and yeah steel and stuff it's just it's cheaper and more profitable i know i shouldn't say that but it is um to buy ready-made shoes and there's nothing wrong with them if you know how to put them on mm. how much of the work that you do is catered for sort of um competition and, and race horses is their level of service a bit a bit more than just putting a shoe on a normal horse um I wouldn't say so if it's if you know if it's wrong it's wrong um mm. you know obviously those horses are working at a lot higher standard and those horses are worth a lot more money to someone or people so obviously you know the margins for error and what you can and can't get away with regards to it being absolutely spot on or it's absolutely fine and it will just be fine mm. then yeah then those those tolerances are a lot short, smaller um so they take a lot more shoeing they take a lot more work and generally they have a lot more problems because of the level of work that they do um so they're picking up injuries or you know if you've got a slight abnormality in a in a cob that plods down the road it's never going to be a problem but if it's spent a season cantering across on level ground, jumping big cross-country jumps or running at an absolute flat-out gallop for three or four minutes, then 
those small problems will over time become big problems. So they need monitoring a lot more. Mm. And how much of a, a physical job is it uh, for you, you know, dealing with these humongous animals at times and having to, you know, hold their leg while you're, while you're doing this sort of this work on their foot? How hard is that? Hard. Hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah there's, no, there's no two ways about it. It's a very physically demanding job. I mean, I've been shoeing now for, well, I qualified in 2005. I've done five years on top of that, so I'm coming on for sort of 20-odd years. Um, and it's it's hard. Every day my back hurts. Mm. Um, some mornings it's a struggle to put my socks on. <laughs> um, it, yeah, but then but that's part of it. And it is very physical, and it's, and it's not a very safe job. They're, they're big animals. They're their natural instinct is to just run away if they're not happy about something. And if you're in the way, then that's not really a concern of theirs. Um, I was going to say, is it, it's quite a dangerous job as well, I guess, because yeah. these huge beasts have a, a tendency to kick back, don't they? They do. They do. And where we are in relation to the horse, we're pretty up close and personal with them. So the likelihood of getting a good kick is pretty slim. Um, you're actually worse off working with donkeys. They've got a different action when they kick um, and they do like to. Um, but yeah, horses, horses, if you're up and close to them, they'll generally just give you a bump. Mm. Um, but it does happen. It does happen. They'll catch you. Um, I've been quite fortunate over my career. Um, I've not picked up too many lasting <laughs> injuries. I, did, I dislocated near um, a few, a few bad kicks, but other than that, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty good to go, really. That's quite a common common one, I think, with working or, or being with horses, the knee injury. I worked yeah. with a girl who, who was just riding a horse along and the horse next to her kicked her and shattered her knee. Yeah. Um, I think that's a common common issue with working with horses. Yeah, yeah. Your um, uh, blacksmithing and forging skills, do you, um, obviously the skills you picked up from farrying, do you apply that to anything else? Um. For the first sort of probably 10 years of my career, no. It was specifically just chewing horses. Um, but a lot of guys are now looking at diversifying, um, be it in the blacksmithing industry or something entirely different. There's a lot of us now. Um, years ago, when I first started, you know, the phone would ring every day with a new client. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. So as there are more and more farriers, there are obviously it's stiffer competition and there's less potential for new clients. So yeah, I, I do look at, I'm all, all the time thinking of things that I can do as well. Um, blacksmithing is something that I do enjoy and fabricating and stuff like that. So I have, I have done things um, a little, a little while ago, we set up a, a company called Hand Forged Hearts, which is um, keepsakes made out of old horseshoes shaped into obviously a heart shape. Um, and they can be like personalized and stamped and stuff like that. But then like anything, work gets in the way and those those things are, are extra on the end of your day, which obviously doesn't always work out. Mm. I'm, I'm surprised that there's now more farriers than there were when you first started. You think it would sort of go the other way around? Yeah, 
it's it's a massive misconception. A lot of people I talk to that aren't in the horsey industry, and they ask what you do for a living, and you you tell them they're all dying trade that one, and mm. no, not even close, not wow. even close. Um, it's it's massive, and there's, I mean, when I first trained, there would have been probably five or six in my local area. Um, now you're looking at tenfold. Wow. Yeah. You have, you have to be, um, it's not something you can just turn up and do, right? You you had to have a full qualification at the end of your... Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you pass your diploma um, and you get a you get your letters after your name. Um, so in, in England, you do have to have a registered qualification. It's you're part of the Farrier's Registration Council. Mm. Um, so yes, you do, to practice Farrier, you in the UK, you do have to have an actual qualification. There are guys out there that aren't qualified. They get picked up every now and then. <laughs> um, but yeah, England, England is one of the only countries, um, or the UK, sorry, is one of the only places where you do actually have to have a registered qualification. Right. So what's an average day like for a farrier? Are you up early blacksmithing to get the shoes ready to go out? or how does it No, the, uh, the van, obviously, we're mobile, so the van's stocked, ready to go. You've got, you've got you know, your horses, because we have a regular client base, so we know the horses we're doing on the day. Um, so the van's stocked. We're out the door at seven, um, under the first horse, depending on how far you go, between half seven and eight. Um and generally on the average through the summer obviously we've got the daylight hours so we work a bit longer and we'll be done about sort of half five six o'clock mm-hmm. um unless there's any problems through the winter obviously it's cut your days are a bit shorter and a bit more rushed so you're normally done if you've got somewhere with lights you can finish off if you can't and you're done about half four what um sort of personality traits do you need to uh, become a farrier um, I think you need to be quite understanding, quite sort of, um, yeah, it's difficult. A lot of the, <laughs> a lot of the, <laughs> you have to be quite uh, patient would probably be a good word with horses and owners. Hmm. Um, they're all quite high maintenance. <laughs> um, so yeah, you have to, you have to be quite patient at times. Obviously when it comes to, comes to your livelihood and your safety then you have to be quite sort of strict on that sort of that sort of side of it but yeah Did the majority just, of people come in from uh, being horse lovers into the industry yeah. yeah yeah i mean i was i was in a group of i was in a group of 27 i think on my on my apprenticeship um and i think there was only one or two that that couldn't ride or hadn't really had anything to do with horses um, so I you, think it's it's a massive help, you know. They're they're big animals, and you yeah, need to, be able to understand them. And having to learn that as well would would be hard. So we sort of mentioned uh, personality traits of someone, and I guess a lot or most farriers will be sole traders. So you've got to have a bit of get up and go, and go yeah, and yeah, find new clients, yeah. and, and and be able to to hunt for for jobs. I suppose a little bit, a little bit. It's it's a very old traditional trade, so. There are very strict rules with regards to going and finding work. Mm. Um, you can advertise just like anyone else, but there's no, you know, you can't tip up to a yard and ask if you can shoe their horses. Right. Um, 
So there's none of that goes on. It's a lot of it. I'd say 90% of it is word of mouth. So mm-hmm. you, again, yeah, you have to have a lot of, you know, you have to be a dedicated person. You have to be putting in the effort because obviously your work will get you more work. If you're a good farrier, then you'll be busy. If you're no good, then you won't be. So, and that's only, you know, there's a lot of natural talent in it, but there's also a lot of effort put into it as well. Mm-hmm. What are some of the biggest positives and opportunities you've taken out of doing this as a career? I mean, your Instagram, you've got quite a following on Instagram and you've got a YouTube channel and you're doing all yeah, these yeah. extra things around, uh, around the job. Uh, what, what are the biggest positive positives you take out of doing it? Um, I mean, my social media side of it, I use that um, a lot for other people. They contact me through that and, you know, ask advice and help and stuff. And I get a lot out of that. I enjoy doing that. Um, I'm going to try and look into trying to charge for that because I seem to spend quite a bit of time doing that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, that's nice. That's good. I mean, just, just being outside, working with horses. I like horses mm. most of the time. Um, and you know, it's, it's a rewarding job if the horse is broken or lame and it's not when you finish, then, then that's good. That's a good feeling, you know, self-employment not for everyone, but you know, it suits me. It suits my lifestyle. If I don't want to work next Wednesday, I haven't got to ask anyone's permission. Mm. Um, you know, it's just, it's nice. It suits me and it's, and it's outdoors and it's, you know, it's an old traditional trade. It's good to do. What are some of the less favourable aspects of the job, though? Getting kicked. Yeah. <laughs> Getting yeah. bit. Yeah. Clown. <laughs> um, yeah. Smell. <laughs> the weather. The weather's pretty grim. Yeah. You know, getting dragged about. The fact that I, you know, and I've said it before, I, I do spend every day with a sore back. Um, but there, I'm sure there's lots of jobs that incur injuries and pain related parts um and it's quite a fickle fickle world the um equine industry you uh no one will really know you unless you do a bad job um (laughs) it's yeah all the time you're doing well and doing all right then you're pretty much under the radar but if something goes wrong you're flagged up did you um also have to set up your own forge at the beginning of this and uh, now I've always been strictly, strictly mobile. So everything's in the van. So I can, okay. I, everything I need to do um, from basic shoeing to remedial stuff is all, is all okay. mobile with me. Um, I do have a, a premises that I share with a couple of other local farriers um, that we use occasionally if we need it, but it's not a, it's not a necessity and it's not something that I ever really set up. Um, we like to just talk a little bit about sort of average incomes. We've looked at some stats um, for farriers and it, it ranges massively, obviously, because it's self-employed, but it seems mm. to range from anywhere from 16 up to 30,000. Does that sound, of, sound right to you? Yeah. I mean, it, it, again, it, it's basically dependent on any self-employed job. It's how much time you want to put into it, mm. how hard you want to work. I've never been a, a numbers chaser. You know, I'm, best part of six foot and with my head between my knees all day long I need to I you know I can't I can't do the big numbers until I'm 70 you know so I need to you know I've never been a, a one to go out and do as many as I can I'd rather do a good job and yeah, earn, yeah. 
you know and, and and to be honest you can if you if you're doing well and you're doing a good high standard of work and you can charge well for that then you know i can do less and earn the same as the bloke that's out there doing chasing himself around yeah what what separates a uh, a really good showing to one that's you know sub sub level what is it that makes it a really good job <laughs> that's a very good question actually um I think, I think basically you'll know if it's, you know, obviously you get jobs that are better than others. Um, balance, um, symmetry. You can get a lot of things wrong mm. with regards to shoeing horses before it actually causes a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you, you see a lot of work out there that is in my eyes substandard, but that horse is sound it gets ridden every day and everyone's happy so you know obviously balance and symmetry and longevity of the shoes you know how long they stay on the foot for i mean they <laughs> changed every six weeks as it is um but it's yeah it's just down to down to personal opinion really and personal preference but um you can do a pretty pretty substandard job and there it does happen and you'll get away with it i guess you've been doing it for so long you might even be able to look at a horse in a paddock and go mm, he balances a bit off there i it yeah it's funny when you drive down the lane and and the horses are coming past being ridden i very rarely look above the knee <laughs> I, yeah it's just your eyes are drawn to the feet and you always have a little comment about them yeah yeah and do you do you need any specialist tools to to do your work? Yeah, obviously there's a range of farrowry tools that are designed specifically for showing horses. Mm. Um, so you have a floor kit, what they call a floor kit, and that's in a in a toolbox that you use around the horses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously you have your forging equipment as well, so hammers and tongs and and various other tools that you use when you're at the anvil. Mm. And what would be uh, something that's you deal with day to day that's probably not in the job description a lack of tea <laughs> <laughs> that's a big problem that i have to yeah. deal with um yeah a lack of tea facilities um to be honest to be honest there, is, there wouldn't be an awful lot that wouldn't be in the job description i don't even think you could really write a job description <laughs> no i don't think you could for showing horses and to be honest it it's a job that is what you make it. Mm. Um, you have to kind of write the rules as, as you want them to be. Um, otherwise it can be, it can be quite crazy. Um, you have to be quite strict about stuff. And you, But as far as stuff that wouldn't be in the job description, I don't, to be honest, I don't think there is. I mean, mm. they don't write on the job description that your back's going to hurt like hell in two years time. <laughs> Um, you're probably going to rasp off your knuckles at least once today um, <laughs> and yeah various other ailments that you're going to pick up along the way um, <laughs> but other than that no it's pretty much what it is so how do you uh, progress as a farrier how do you get your name out there it's just through sheer doing good jobs and and sort of the time you put into it yeah, time and effort and just, you know, you've got to be nice to people, you've got to be polite to people, you've got to work hard, you've got to be seen to be trying. Um, and yeah, do the best job 
to the best standard you can um and just don't get a bad name for yourself it's it's not something that's um you know it's easily done it's something you have to try to avoid doing mm. um but but as far as you know bettering yourself yeah definitely that's another reason why i do my social media you know i look at i look at every job like i want that to be postable i want to be able to put that out there yeah um you know so that that gives me a little bit of an incentive to try that little bit harder customers take a lot away from that as well they like the fact that you know you've done that that extra little bit to make it extra pretty and and look nice for the for the photos and for the instagram and stuff so Mm. you know that's that's something that people like um it's just effort you've got to put effort in yeah yeah certainly um would you still go into the industry uh knowing all you know now that varies day to day <laughs> and that's not me just that's not just me trying to be funny that, that generally does vary from day to day um you'll have good runs and you'll have bad runs and i think that's probably the case for every job um personally as much as i moan about it at times probably would mm. Have you got any um, any tips for any uh, young farriers considering or young people considering going into farrying? Go for it. You'll love it. Yeah. It is a good job. It is a good job. As long as you're prepared to work hard, it's a good job. One of the things that I wish I'd done but family commitments didn't allow was to, once you've qualified, go and work with lots of guys. Mm. Although you've got your certificate and you can do it, and you're legally allowed to, and you are shown to be competent, you will still know very little compared to someone that's been doing it 30, 40 years. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, gain as much experience as you can. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you so much for coming on, Matt. I've, I found that really no interesting. No problem at all. That's no brilliant. problem at all. Um, can you uh, shout out your uh, social media? Yeah, so it's Matt Wallace Barrier, and there's an underscore between Matt uh and wallace and farrier um and then again matt wallace farrier on facebook as well awesome thank you very much brilliant thanks no worries at all cheers Cheers. guys good to speak to you take care now bye-bye